We welcome to this last show of 2015 our regular guest, Professor Michael Hudson from michael-hudson.com. He's the author of the recent Killing the Host, which uh, has been everywhere this year and has a new book coming out called J is for Junk Economics. So, Michael, great to have you back on the show. You put out an article that caused a bit of a storm recently. IMF forgives Ukraine's debt to Russia. Now, what are the background machinations to this article? For the last two or three years, the United States has been trying to uh, uh, prevent uh, Russia and especially China from creating uh, their own investment and their own currency and trade area independent of the United States. Uh, The United States diplomats are worried that uh, some country may try to keep their wealth for themselves and uh, their own uh, labor force growth instead of giving their wealth to the United States. And their intention is to prevent and block uh, China's development of the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. Uh, and it's to block any loans that Russia can extend to customers of its uh, uh, oil and gas. The idea is that only the United States and its NATO allies can create credit and can create uh, money. And the cement of any credit system is the ability to collect on debts that are owed you. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Russia extended a $3 billion loan to Ukraine at a time when nobody else was lending uh, to Ukraine. And Russia made this loan from its sovereign fund, uh, c- capital fund, and it made it at only 5%, which is half the uh, interest rate that uh, Ukraine had to pay uh, elsewhere. The United States said, how can we stiff Russia and how can we stiff China? Suppose the Asian Investment uh, Infrastructure Bank makes loans to Asian countries or Central Asian countries or African countries by building infrastructure for them, by uh, building ports, by building high-speed railroads, by building hospitals. How can we prevent these countries from paying back China? We want to impoverish China and impoverish Russia and smash any country that tries to be independent like we've smashed uh, Cuba and North Korea and Iran. We want to make sure that no other country can pursue an independent policy from the United States, independent militarily, and we want to be able to impoverish them to the point where in order to survive, they have to privatize their industry, sell off their uh, infrastructure, sell off their mineral resources at distressed prices to American buyers so that America, rather than these countries, can get the fruits of their growth. So uh, the the cement so far of uh, America getting repaid from its loans to uh, third world countries that have impoverished them has been uh, the International Monetary Fund acting as the central coordinator of uh, international loans. In other words, the IMF, when a country's in trouble and needs credit, or needs uh, refinancing to stabilize its currency, the International Monetary Fund will put together a consortium of other governments and commercial banks to make loans. This is what it's been doing for the last 50 years in Latin America and uh, Europe, third world countries. And the leverage that it has, the all important leverage for any bank or any creditor is the ability to, to collect. And the leverage has been that the IMF has had a rule If a country is not paying any government, 
if it's in arrear of any government, then it cannot qualify for an IMF loan. And if it doesn't qualify for an IMF loan, it won't qualify for uh, international loans from uh, other countries or from global banks. Well, the IMF issued, basically, uh, has changed its rule to said, when we said if a country owes money to any government, what we really meant is if it owes any money to the U.S. government. Uh, we're only talking about the U.S. government. If the IMF owns money to governments that are not the, uh, the United States or are not part of NATO, then they don't count. Uh, we will make loans to these countries. Uh, they can uh, continue to, uh, to trade. And, uh, we're only trying to isolate countries that are not part of the U.S. diplomatic orbit. So basically, this is a, an attack, a financial attack by the United States on uh, the ability of Russia, China, or any other country that makes loans to collect on its debt unless the loan is approved by uh, the IMF, which is, you should think of the IMF as a small room in the Pentagon, in the Defense Department, with a sub-office on Wall Street, making loans that are deemed in the interest of the United States on conditions that it must hurt Russia, China, and uh, the BRICS. So basically, what the IMF has done is, it's as if the U.S. Uh, diplomats walked into the IMF headquarters in Washington with uh, financial suicide vests and pulled the trigger and blew up the international financial system to uh, essentially divide the world into two parts, into the dollar block on the one hand and the independent countries on the other. Well, in the past, these independent countries have been Cuba, or North Vietnam, uh, or uh, North Korea. Uh, but now uh, that you have China, Russia, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, with uh, Pakistan and India and Iran as observers, now you have the ability of other countries to say, we've had enough of U.S. austerity. We are not going to impose austerity and take the IMF medicine, namely its stabilization programs, which is IMF talk for destabilizing a country, impoverishing it, making it even more bankrupt so that it has to privatize and sell off its infrastructure. Uh, the, the rest of the world doesn't want to commit the economic suicide that the United States is uh, uh, insisting that it, it's doing. So what we have is a situation very much like uh, George Orwell. Uh, discussed in 1984. We've seen the United States open the war between Oceania, the United States, Britain, and its NATO allies, and Eurasia. Uh, and that's basically how to think of world diplomacy now. Eurasia is trying to become independent uh, of uh, uh, essentially U.S. unilateralism. Part of the motivation, the drive for America to maintain currency control is out of the subtle subsidy that other nations using their currencies provide. Uh, some say that this subsidizes the U.S. defense budget quite significantly. What do you estimate are the, the subsidies and the, the full ramifications of international trade being based on the U.S. dollar? And what can we expect as more nations uh, start trading in BRICS-related currencies? Well, the phenomenon is what I discussed in my book, Superimperialism. In 1972, I noticed that the entire U.S. balance of payments deficit was military in character during the 1960s and early 70s. When the United States went off gold in 1971, 
foreign countries had a problem. What are they going to hold their international reserves in? And uh, when they didn't have gold, there was only one way to form international reserves. Now, foreign central banks don't buy stocks or uh, corporate bonds. They buy U.S. government debt. And uh, so basically, when a foreign country runs a balance of payment surplus, or when the United States military spends uh, enough dollars abroad, these dollars are all turned over to the central banks like they were turned over to General de Gaulle's France in the 60s. The central banks turn around and uh, use these dollar inflows to buy uh, U.S. Treasury bills. So basically, the U.S. Treasury bills uh, are uh, financed, the U.S. domestic budget deficit. So it's military spending, creating a balance of payments deficit, creating a dollar glut for foreign central banks that is used to finance the domestic budget deficit that's military in nature. So under the current international financial system, foreign country savings of their, their central bank reserves are held in the form of loans to the Defense Department, the U.S. military, to surround them with military bases so they can say, if you don't do what we want, if you don't join our uh, finance organizations, if you don't finance our trade, if you make your pipelines go through countries that we don't like, if you make your pipelines go through Shiite countries instead of Sunni countries, then uh, we're going to use our military bases to shoot you down, or we'll have our allies shoot you down, like we had uh, Turkey shoot down uh, uh, the Russian plane. So essentially, foreign countries are, are financing their own oppression. And now China and the BRICS nations have this potential to break away. You're saying that this play where the IMF wrote off $3 billion worth of loans to Ukraine. What they said was, uh, we will make loans to the Ukraine, even though it is in arrears to, uh, to Russia, that uh, we will no longer enforce the payment of uh, by Ukraine to the Russian government. And by the way, we will never enforce any debts owed by any African country, any Central American country, any Asian country to China or Russia or Cuba or any country that we don't like. We have to approve every loan. We are in control. And if you don't like it, we will smash you like we smashed uh, Syria, like we smashed Iraq, like we smashed uh, uh, Afghanistan, we will do to you what we've done to the Near East if you don't uh, agree to give us all of your economic surplus. That's basically the, uh, uh, what's held up to other worlds. You say potential. Other countries had the potential all along to be independent, but they haven't acted on it. Europe could be independent if it wanted. Australia could be independent. It doesn't want to. What's happened is that uh, China and Russia and uh, other Asian countries, Pakistan, India, Iran, they've decided we don't want any more part of the American century. We want to be independent because this is a war, really, it's a clash of civilization. And America uh, has posed a new civilization where the entire world is in economic slavery to the United States. That is the new clash of civilization. And the American civilization uses is partnership with ISIS, partnership with fundamentalism. It's a civilization that is anti-secular, uh, that is using uh, religious fanaticism, whether it's Christian fanaticism or it's Islamic uh, jihadism, uh, to smash other countries that try to be secular and try to have an independent voice in global affairs. And that's where nations like Libya 
really got slammed. That's exactly right. That tried to be independent, and you saw what happened to that. Well, it's certainly a fascinating time with the Chinese economy uh, seeming to have ridden over some rough bumps this year. And what I'm interested in is the Asian Development Bank and uh, some of the loans they're making. Development Bank. That is really the United States extension of the World Bank, which is uh, intended to impoverish the Asian countries. The Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank is China's bank intended to enrich the countries to provide an alternative to the world bank lending, which essentially is to back uh, corrupt uh, kleptocracies. Okay, well, I was looking at the Asian Development Bank and seeing just how many loans they're making in the renewable energy space. And it seems like uh, this battle over energy production and the pricing of oil out of the world has been another one of the major themes of 2015 with uh, uh, the U.S. fracking operations being taken out, if you like, by the OPEC producers who have pushed more supply on the market than needed to to make fracking uneconomic. So that's sort of a trend that's going on through the, the global machinations. How do you see that playing out? The Russians, uh, in their budget that they announced uh, today, think that the price of oil may go down as low as $30 a barrel. So uh, there's certainly going to be very low oil prices. Uh, the one result has been that in the United States, the, junk, the corporate junk bond market uh, has been collapsing because uh, most of the fracking operations were uh, very heavily debt leveraged, and now they're broke, and so you're having them default on the uh, bonds that they've issued. And uh, they believe now that this is spreading to the overall corporate sector, that uh, takeover loans and uh, other uh, corporations have been basically very heavily debt leveraged with uh, subprime junk bonds. And uh, the fallout of this is uh, to catalyze collapse that would have uh, occurred anyway, but to catalyze a collapse in the uh, leveraged bond market. We're talking with Professor Michael Hudson from michael-hudson.com. He's the author of Killing the Host and a screed of books that really shine the light on the deepest structural imbalances that lead to the sort of inequality, the, the carjackings people fear as they drive down the streets. So, Michael, back to some of these big trends of 2015. You're talking about here the, the credit market starting to face some pressure through junk bonds. What's on the radar with uh, the Federal Reserve very close to increasing interest rates, maybe in the next 24 hours? It's quite possible that they will raise the interest rate uh, nominally from one quarter of a percent to one half a percent. Uh, this will have zero effect on the economy at large. The whole uh, last uh, seven years, the whole quantitative easing, lowering interest rates down to a quarter percent, uh, have had no effect at all on uh, spurring the domestic economy. The reason that interest rates were lowered was never to help the economy. It was to help the banks by uh, increasing the ability of Wall Street uh, to organize a lot of leveraged credit going into the, uh, the stock market. You could borrow at uh, uh, a quarter percent to one percent, and you could buy stocks whose dividends would pay 2% or 3% or 4%, and there's been an enormous amount of stock market arbitrage credit where you borrow at a low rate to push up stocks and uh, also real estate prices. And so the purpose of the Fed's quantitative easing from the very beginning was to keep real estate prices high enough 
that uh, banks who had made mortgage loans would not uh, go under, and also to keep stock and bond prices uh, high by arbitrage. The interest rate would have to be increased very much more in order to have any real effect on either the capital markets or the actual economy. Okay, and what about the U.S. exchange as interest rates go up? A lot of people are going to jump jump into the foreign exchange market, and uh, in terms of imperialist objectives, that could well play out uh, nicely for America's hegemony. It's a two-edged sword because American funds have uh, been speculating in third-world bonds. You could borrow in America, as I said, up to 1%, and you could buy Brazilian bonds or Venezuelan bonds or... Uh, Argentine bonds yielding enormously more. Now, the theory is if American interest rates went up by enough to 3 or 4%, then all of a sudden uh, other countries, like Europe especially, that's uh, keeping its interest rates low, people would borrow at 1% in Europe and try to buy American securities yielding a higher price. But that's uh, still far off because uh, uh, the quarter-point rise is only symbolic. It, it is almost a rounding error when it comes to uh, financial speculation. You mentioned earlier some of the religious fanaticism. These are really are diversion plays, aren't they, from the structural organisation of national economies and the raping and pillaging that's going on of our natural resources. Have there been any new trends you've deciphered this year that uh, have opened you up to even greater scepticism that uh, the common good is being massaged by our democratic forces? Well, let's go back to 1953 when the United States, the CIA, overthrew the Mossadegh regime in Iran. They said that uh, secular regimes that are for the people might actually push their own self-interest and especially take control of their oil. So they backed a dictatorship, the Shah, that was so dictatorial and totalitarian that the only vehicle for organizing uh, people together against it were the Shiites under uh, Khomeini. So basically, America, uh, by backing the Shah, led to the Shiite revolution in Iran in 1979. When the United States saw a secular movement in Afghanistan, uh, largely a Russian-backed, but basically an independent secular movement, it said, we can't control Afghanistan's pipelines if there is a secular country uh, and regime trying to act in its own self-interest. Let's smash it up. Let's create al-Qaeda and uh, essentially we'll work with Saudi Arabia to get the most fanatic Wahhabists uh, we can. And it worked so well in Afghanistan that they said, let's try the same thing in uh, the Near East, in uh, uh, Iraq and uh, Syria and uh, Libya. Let's push uh, the real the uh, uh, Saudi crazies there, and uh, they'll smash it up. And if they smash it up, the American plans are for Syria to split into maybe four or five countries, Iraq to split into four and five countries, Libya to split up. And they say, if we can take the whole world's uh, countries and split them up into a lot of little pieces, then there won't be any country strong enough to oppose America or its allies. The Near East won't be able to oppose either the America or Israel or Saudi Arabia. And uh, we can essentially use religious fanaticism 
to prevent any kind of secular or nationalist or self-interested or socialist uh, economy because the uh, religious fanatics are always on the far right wing of the political spectrum, almost as bad as the Republicans in the United States in opposing prosperity, in, uh, in sharing a hatred of labor and a hatred of living standards, a hatred of sexuality and a hatred of women. If the United States can back these, then we can create a, a revive a new civilization. We can create a civilization of hate, and that hate can tear other countries apart, and we can control that hate because hatred is almost always corrupt, and uh, these guys are viable outable. Uh, you'll notice that ISIS has not attacked uh, Israel at all, despite the fact that it pretends to be Islamic. Uh, we, can, we can control them and use these crazies and manipulate them in a way that we can't manipulate intelligent, secular, honest regimes, and we can use them as a battering ram to smash any government that seeks to be independent of the United States, control its own oil and gas, and natural resources, and uh, uh, ultimately we can smash up China into five countries. We can smash up Russia into five countries, and uh, there will be nothing left, and the world will be devastated, and we will control it all. That's the, uh, the American idea of civilization. That's the American century. Well, let's switch back to Ukraine because uh, in terms of divide-and-conquer type rulings, it's very interesting that the east of Ukraine is where so much of the productive land is. And um, this year, I think it was announced that a new vice president was to join the board of the biggest gas producer in the Ukraine, Burisma Holdings, and that, of course, was R. Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son. Now... How often does this sort of trend follow uh, some of these wars where insiders join natural resource uh, extractors and make great profits because the local tax system has no idea uh, just how valuable these resources are and uh, politicians would rather accept uh, bribes rather than reform the tax system for the common good? Well, what is called neoliberalism or free market theory in America is kleptocracy. Uh, you can see when the neoliberals had a free reign to design an economy in Russia and other Soviet uh, countries after 1991, uh, they created a set of uh, kleptocracies. Uh, they also included a flat tax. They want to prevent progressive income tax. They want a flat tax uh, that falls mainly on labor and uh, on earned income and does not fall on what is called capital gains, which are basically uh, land price gains, natural resource gains, and gains from rent extraction activities. Rent means unearned income uh, that is not earned by industry or labor. So you have part of this uh, American civilization is essentially to uh, create kleptocracies to shift the tax system off land off natural resources and off the wealthy onto labor to impoverish labor. And they think, of course, if you impoverish labor, then you're going to have it ground down to the point where it's going to back uh, fundamentalist uh, right-wing organizations like uh, ISIS in the Near East or the Republican Party or, or the uh, fundamentalist Christians, uh, the, the evangelicals in the United States. And the evangelicals basically are uh, white 
blue-collar uh, working-class people whose basically uh, their, their political program is we want lower wages, we don't want health care, we want to die earlier, we don't want pensions, and in exchange, we'll, we'll take all that if you also crush women's rights and you don't permit abortions and uh, sex. So that, that is uh, basically the new American religion. Uh, it's the neoliberal religion taken over by uh, the Christian fundamentalists that uh, they found a very common ground with the uh, Saudi Arabian Wahhabists. So you can look at the Republican Party, the, uh, the voters for uh, Donald Trump and for the Canadian-born uh, Cuban uh, presidential candidate, I'm always blocking out his name, to essentially, uh, they're the American Taliban. The Taliban, the word is a religious school for Islam. Most of the American business schools from which uh, the World Bank and the IMF staff are drawn are Taliban in the sense that there are certain forbidden things that you cannot introduce into the curriculum. You can't have a discussion of land or natural resources is different from uh, capital. You can't have the concept of unearned income. Whatever anybody can take is considered earnings. The, the classical distinction between earned and in, unearned income, between productive and unproductive labor, is erased. So you have essentially the American uh, higher education has been talibaned by uh, the neoliberals. Michael Hudson, with Europe printing money, Japan and America still somewhat, uh, has there ever been a better time for monopolists to be making easy money than now? Well, if you're a Russian or Chinese monopolist, you're not going to do very well because the Americans have you in their sights. But if you're an American monopolist, well plugged in to the American banks, uh, working uh, essentially with the gang, uh, then you're going to be okay. But if you're not working with uh, the Wall Street banks, uh, with the political leaders, uh, with uh, the appropriate religious organizations, uh, then uh, you're not going to be very good. So to be a monopolist, you have to be a joiner uh, uh, into this, uh, these gangs that are being created. I'm, I'm still flabbergasted that seven, eight years after the global financial crisis, uh, we have so many nations uh, back in housing bubble territory and the policy response has been to increase sales taxes on the poor rather than to capture any of this naturally rising increase in the value of land. There are more and more high-level discussions amongst OECD, IMF-type uh, research papers saying, look, we do need to capture some of these unearned incomes. This is the future tax system we need. As the world of transfer pricing and tax avoidance continues uh, in the face of minor-type uh, reforms such as the BEPS initiative the OECD has pushed out, uh, where do you see the, the sovereignty of national governments heading when their tax system has this inbuilt uh, uh, system of loopholes for insiders to benefit from? Well, part of the uh, IMF change of saying governments, uh, 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 countries uh, can get American-backed loans and they don't have to pay governments that uh, aren't part of our orbit, what you're saying is heresy. It is heresy to say that you should tax unearned income. Heresy to say you should tax the rich more than the poor. Heresy to say that you should tax land rent and uh, uh, economic rent. If a government does that, it will be treated just like Cuba did, uh, just like uh, Libya, just like other countries. It will become an uh, exile 
in the global uh, economic system. The problem is that it was relatively easy to isolate Cuba and uh, uh, North Korea, but it's much harder to isolate all of Eurasia, especially if Eurasia, through the AIAB, makes a linkage with Africa and with other third world countries. The United States will end up isolating everybody except Europe. Now, it's going to be able to impoverish Europe. It can probably uh, reduce European living standards by 50%. It can strip uh, all the wealth away from uh, Europe. It can end the pension funds, because Europe really has a faith in the American uh, religion. But uh, it can't spread uh, this happy religion to uh, other countries that uh, it'll end up isolating itself from the rest of the world. That's the, uh, the internal contradiction in the uh, American plan that by being so self-centered, so greedy, so destructive of progress, so, let's say, evil, it will isolate itself from the rest of the world by giving the world, uh, the rest of the world, no choice but uh, to choose between American-backed poverty by the IMF and the World Bank or prosperity uh, by going its own uh, lines by creating a mixed economy and having the kind of tax system uh, that you mentioned that will uh, not tax labor or industry, but will promote labor and industry and tax the kleptocrats and recover for the public domain what the kleptocrats have been able to steal by recovering uh, the free lunch of land rent and natural resource rent and monopoly rent and that'll, that will use infrastructure uh, financed by a government and a mixed economy to lower the cost of living, to lower the price of doing the business, and America will end up, as it's ended up now, is a very high-cost economy, unable to compete with uh, only hydrogen bombs to defend its economy. Well, Michael Hudson, uh, how do we finish up on a positive note here? <laughs> is there... I think that's positive. The world's going to split in two. Oceania will go its own way leaving uh, 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 Eurasia will go its own way, leaving Oceania impoverished. And uh, the focus of the world will finally shift away from Europe and North America towards a more civilized part of the globe. That's optimistic. Well, thank you very much, Professor Michael Hudson, for joining us here on The Renegade Economist, broadcasting from 3CR Melbourne, Australia. Always good to be here, Carol. 